I'm here with boyfriend, aka Suze, but really just nobody calls her that. It's just boyfriend. And <laughs> she's got an incredible background. And it's funny that we're both wearing silk robes right now. <laughs> I, I actually fished through all my dirty clothes because I wanted to wear one of my small difference shirts. Oh, and I wear them you. so much that they're either on me or in the dirty clothes. It, they were too that. dirty. I was like, oh, I can wear this. Like, but no. this works. It's all shades of pink. It's perfect. Yeah, it, it works. If, if you're listening more. and can't see, I'll put it up on Instagram later. But uh, yeah, it's a great ensemble. Um, and we were just talking about about skin issues. And I was like, you know what? Let me just like hit record because I could talk about this. I don't mind being like, like this is not privy information. Uh, so I was talking about how I, in the winter, I was really sick. And I came down to Mexico to like convalesce. And, and then uh, she was asking me, you know, what my skin issues are. So, so I figured I would like record me telling it because I'm happy to like help anyone listening who has issues or yo, help me if you know what's wrong with me. But <laughs> so I had eczema when I was a kid and they gave me topical steroids like forever from the jump and they never stopped. So once they, or I mean, they never stopped giving them to me. Once one would stop working, they would, you know, my parents' reaction would be, oh, this doctor doesn't know what they're talking about. And we would go get a second opinion. And that next doctor, dermatologist, Upper East Side, Jewish, you know, all the same, would be like, they gave you that? No, that's stupid. There's a better one now, you know? And then they'd get, it was just the same things for like 20 years because it takes a couple of years to go immune to these things. So every time, I, no, no one really, want, you know, I was like fucking seven years old and you don't, you know, I'm not, I'm just doing, I don't know. You're not like investigating your medical system. You, you don't think that way. You just, they tell you to do this and you do it. And your parents tell you and like, you're just like, yeah. So this went on forever and I never questioned it because of the combination of just like, I was, these doctors know, must know what they're talking about. And my parents are co-signing. So sure. So yeah. So uh, what is really going on with that is that these creams are suppressants. And what they do is they take the inflammation and they make it, they push it inside. They push toxins. The inflammation is there's toxins inside trying to get out. And, the, and what in that process, it, breaks your skin and it's uncomfortable it gets red and it and it opens up and the suppressants what they do is they push those toxins back inside and don't break your skin temporarily they don't change they, they, the toxins don't you know energy just moves there's a fixed amount of energy in the universe so if you're pushing it back inside it's staying in my body it's not disappearing it's not like all of a sudden oh it goes into a different part of my body and and it's process no like it just gets stored up and suppressed for you know at this in this example years and while that happens your body is growing and evolving and, and developing and not evolving developing <laughs> we don't evolve once we're born we just develop <laughs> um but uh i i mean that'd be awesome but you know no vin diesel's here um so you're telling your body, don't develop defenses against this because something else defends against it. So that is just your immune system effectively not developing. So it, my immune system, while it was developing for skin inflammation, for that category, for redness, 
cracks or cracked skin and whatever. It just didn't, it, it was just like, nah, nah, be like, we're good. We got this. That, that was the suppressants telling my body, we, we have this covered. Don't develop those, those systems. So years later, I had a shitload of toxins stored up years, you know, decades and no defense, no, no natural defense against them. And I had fucked up skin because the the medicine is also not good for you like it thins your skin it's it's just not only does it does it weaken your defense but it also just it, you know you're physically putting things through your skin that you're not supposed to be putting through your skin that much you're supposed to use this when you're like on your you, you know you can't function i need to sleep I'm, I'm i'm bleeding and like i'm really bad that's when you use those topical steroids not daily like it, it's not an emollient it's not just regular moisturizer it's not it's, it's, it's not for daily use, but I had it for daily use for 20 years. And, um, eventually they all stopped working. I had to move on to antibiotics. Um, and again, like when I go to this dermatologist, you know, now probably like my 10th in years, I'm like, the creams don't work anymore. And she's like, okay, I got to give you an antibiotic. That's not good. That's just another thing that now you're, so I, I'm like, okay, cool. I guess I'm like, you know, that'll make me better. And when you take that antibiotic, so that set me back like five years because I took that antibiotic and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. All of a sudden I could take a shower, get out. And it's like, I don't have to moisturize. I feel amazing. That's like two weeks. Like, and then it goes back and it's worse than ever. Uh, and now you have no, so you're just limiting. Now it's like all these artificial defenses, like you're running through them and they're not working. And eventually you are defenseless and you are, and everything comes back and it comes back with a vengeance. It all comes back at once. It's, it's, I, I likened it to, it's like getting, you know, you're getting shot with a little pistol a bunch of times and and you can absorb all that and then it turns into a bazooka one day so like you take none of these you, it's not death by a thousand cuts it's like all of a sudden you get a you get clobbered and that happened to me and you know it's part of i've talked a bunch about how like uh after i left apple i like how i like removed myself from the world a lot of that was because i was sick like I didn't, that wasn't all like strategic. It wasn't all this like philosophical thing. It became that. It became very Zen for me. And like this idea of, oh, I want to change. I want to live life. But it started when I, I wrote a script called, uh, actually, I'm not going to say what it's called. <laughs> uh, but I wrote a script based on like, I had death, I had birth, I had love. And, and I had this like kind of suffering at the same time, like my family member died family member was born fell in love and had like the worst like learned suffering in a different category than I had before and um yeah the last few years that was you know three years ago when I really like maybe four years ago when I really got hit hard and I've been hit hard uh, you know ever since but yeah but uh so so come this December I was supposed to I've been clean off steroids for years so what what doctors there's what they think I have is something called topical steroid withdrawal, which is the, the condition I described of, you know, I've put these toxins inside for years and undeveloped defense system. And you have this thing for, you know, that, that hits you for a while. And the, it just has to rinse itself out. You have to get the toxins out and it takes, I've been told 
it should take two to three years max. By three years, you should be getting a lot better. For me, I'm on like, I'm clean from those those creams for like five, six years, I think. I'm clean from the antibiotics for like four, I think. Um, and I should be getting better. And this winter was worse than ever. And I added all these other symptoms. I My temperature all of a sudden was flipping out. I was freezing all the time. I was sleeping in a snowsuit and like tons of blankets, like literally like a full body snowsuit head. Like it was insane. It was, it was, it was goofy. Um, and then I'd wake up blistering sweats. Uh, so I would go, I would go hot and cold, but I would be, I would be shivering literally like, and, and like yelling. It was so crazy. Um, my hair started falling out, like all these different things happened. Um, and I still don't know why, but that was why I came down to Mexico uh, because the only thing that I could figure out was warm climate and being in the ocean every day makes me feel a lot better. And, and that's where I'm at right now is I've been here. So, so, so what we were talking about is like, you know, did I come down here because of COVID or was I already here? I was already here coincidentally. And I needed six months of convalescence by the ocean in one place and quiet and no stress. So this is crazy that this happened for me because this is exactly what I needed to, you know, figure out what's wrong with me, but while being healthy rather than while being like really fucked up. So yeah, so this is, this worked out in a, in, in, in at least that way for me. And I don't know what's wrong with me. I thought it was topical steroid withdrawal and I thought that was it. And I thought that was just in this amorphous condition that affects me in a bunch of different ways, but it should be getting better at this stage. And it's, it's, it hasn't. So I don't really know what's wrong with me. Um, yeah, I made that extra thorough because I know people ask me. So I feel like I can just point to this episode now as like, if you want to hear me talk about this, like go right into it, uh, you know, in that episode and then listen to all the stuff about boyfriend and her music <laughs> well is your skin itself doing better your wackadoo symptoms aren't totally better but my wackadoo symptoms are gone oh okay. my yeah those went away so like i don't have temperature issues anymore i don't have like that all stopped after i was here for a little while um my skin is is better today than it's been it's, it's it's consistently better, but it's not. So the way I describe it to my my there's one doctor who I really love who I've been working with, but she doesn't like entirely specialize in what I need. So uh, so she's trying to help and like point me in the right direction. But um, the way I describe it to my family and her is in perfect conditions, I am just barely stable. So I'm fine right now. Like I am uninterrupted. I am, I'm able to not scratch. I'm able to, you know, live normal, but we're talking about, I'm by myself right by the, the ocean is right there. Like I can point the camera. It's like right there. <laughs> you can hear it on the microphone. Um, I'm in this beautiful place. I'm in the sun all day. Like I'm in per, I'm eating healthy. I have the least amount of stress. I, everyone has some stress, but like, all of the thing, all the triggers are at their lowest possible level. And I'm still red. I'm still itchy. I'm still, I'm still inflamed. I'm just not destabilized. But if I went home, if I went to New York, if I were in the cold, 
I'd be back. I'd be fucked up again. So that, that's why I explain it. It's like, yeah, I'm fine today, but I'm fine because I'm in perfect conditions and I've sustained this. I've stacked months of care for myself. Gosh, I'm sorry. It's all right. I, the way I, I say it all the time is like, we're all people. We all have shit. Like you definitely have stuff like everyone does. Yeah. My skin is my constant battle too. It's of a really? different nature. Um, well, I've had like cystic acne on okay. my, my chest, back to ass, okay. sometimes even on the thighs. Yeah. Uh, basically since fifth grade. Like I started wow. my period on my 11th birthday, which was the first day of fifth grade. And boom, in comes the acne. And tried a bunch of different stuff. Literally acne surgery was one of the things we did, which is never do that. I don't even know if they do it anymore, but they basically- that sounds like archaic, like, yeah. It's like medieval. They, they bleed wow. your face to like let the, uh. they just take these um, razor blades and make in microscopic <laughs> incisions, like a few millimeters apart all across your face. And like the bruising, I had to miss school. I looked like I'd been in a car wreck. It was awful and it didn't help. Um, one of the best stories about this actually, like I'm able to laugh about it now, but it's definitely the source of a lot of um, trauma. <laughs> and yeah. I can directly- Oh no, I mean, I have my school. I used to have a ring around my lips, a red <laughs> ring around my lips and they called me Ronald McDonald. Oh God. And it was, it was just, you know, it was inflammation and it looked like I had lipstick around my lips. Yeah. Uh, Cause I didn't, I, my nose was really fucked up and um couldn't breathe. So I'd sleep and I would just irritate myself. I'd, I'd mouth breathe when I slept. And I, I, we didn't figure this out for years. Cause just like the doctors were like, Oh yeah, it's a, give give them a cream. Like they didn't realize, no, I had to have surgery on my nose because I was sleeping in a fucked up way and no one figured it out for years. But yeah, but yeah I got made fun of every day. My one little story. Um, mm -hmm. I also feel better by the ocean Good. and in the summers, uh, my dad had a house in Florida, so I would go down there and be with him. And the mud of the bay uh, is really, you know, rich in all these nutrients. And so I'd get the mud and I'd put it all over my face, my chest, my back, and just lay in the sun. And, you know, I might be down there for a week, but my skin would be like the best ever. And so I had the smart idea, you know, school's starting back. I'm headed back to, to Nashville. I'm going to take a bucket of take this it, mud. Yeah, yeah. And right. so I get to Nashville and I, I'm all lathered up, you know, thick layer, fat nets back to ass, chest, all over. And I'm laying out in the sun in the yard and I start to feel this like little tickle. And then I feel like a tickle here. I start to feel, I'm like, okay, it must just be the sensation of it drying. But just in case, like I go inside to the bathroom and I look in the mirror and there's a little tiny baby fiddler crab and another oh one. Oh my God. And, and they're all eggs open, in the, and they're, oh my they're God. waking up on me <laughs> like coming out and honestly i i blacked out and then that's next traumatizing time, like i'm like in the driveway crying and my mom's hosing me down oh and my god like, oh my god i'm just itching like just like thinking about it yeah that's like such a tick like oh Jesus. yeah i mean now it's like wow what a hilarious story you were um, you were 15 you said at that point i was probably 13 13 um, okay but I, you know, to this day, I have that, like, is it like trophophobia thing? Like, like, I don't know what it's called. Regular but... patterns, like the tiny holes fear. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And like any skin stuff, I'm just, but I still struggle. Oh, now my, my new adult version of that is I'll get <laughs> yeast infections on my scalp. Hey. Hey, did you know that? Was 
Yeah. Since we're airing the laundry. Yeah, yeah like, go for oh, it. It's so itchy and awful. And my dermatologist was like, oh, yeah, you just have a yeast infection on your scalp. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Can you at least come up with a different word for it so it doesn't sound <laughs> so awful? Yeah. Oh my gosh but it really does fuck you up though like it 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 is you know trauma it's straight up trauma like it you develop these i yeah i um i have like just natural inclinations to like my body naturally it i catch myself you know moving in certain ways touching myself in certain ways like i scratch when i don't need to scratch and it is just this like sort of defense mechanism that I, I, I don't know. It's, it's so weird. I, I, I have this, like I showered the other day and didn't moisturize after. Like I have all these, um, these things that I do to protect myself that I don't have to do. But I do them because I am constantly living in the worst times for my skin if that makes sense like i'm constantly like like i've developed a consistent response to the worst pain that is baked into my you know all the time so it's like the five percent of the time shapes the rest of the time and it's that's a horrible thing and that's something that's so hard to identify and even harder to change yeah, it's weird. I'm sorry you get that too. It's all right, you know, I'm much better now, um, mainly just because I'm used to it and there's not the physical pain association that you have to deal mm. with quite as quite as much. Like the, the scalp thing is really frustrating. Um, but I mean, it's horrible when, when you're just, when you have things that interrupt the way that you want to be living, you know, when you have things that you're embarrassed by that you don't want to talk to people about when, you know, you have a meeting, but like, you don't want to go to this meeting or you look a certain way or yeah, it sucks. And it, it's certainly not, you know, it is a huge part of why I live the way that I live, why I don't want, you know, a nine to five job that requires me to, you know, be on someone else's schedule constantly, because I know that often, not here and there, mo you know, half the time, I'm going to wake up and not be ready for what I thought I'd be ready for, you know, like, it's going to be a, like, my energy's different. My skin's fucked up. Like, like the other day, like I thought I was good. And then all of a sudden, like I had like, a, you know, my arm was like really bothering me. And it's like, if I had to go right in, if I had to be like up and at him and like on a schedule and had to go talk to someone, sometimes when I'm itchy, like talking to people is, is really, really difficult. Just concentrating. Cause like I'm in another place and this person sitting there and they have no awareness of this. And like, I don't want to make it their business, none of their business, you know, it's not yeah. their fault. I don't need them to be sensitive to me. Like, but I have no, you know, I couldn't live without that. So I, well, so I do live without that. So, so I don't put myself in the position. Like, I don't, I don't want to put myself in a position where anyone has to worry about that. Not out of the goodness of just like, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be, 
I, I just don't want to, yeah, I want to just be like focused. So this takes up like a big chunk of my day every day. Yeah, but everyone has that. It just manifests itself in different ways. Oh, yeah. Ailments. You know, I joke with my yeah. family, like, you know, we're getting older because whenever we have like our group Zooms, we just all talk about our ailments. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like we're all over the third mark and we're like, well, I've got this thing with my toe. <laughs> yeah. It's like how we relate through our, through our, Suffering. Now it's like Quote all of my all of my friend shots. It's just like mental health, everything. Yeah, like everyone is. I've always kind of been like this, though. Like that, I'm kind of like the one who I've always. You know, now we we use the for the phrase mental health, but like I never had that phrase until this year, probably or last year. Um, but to me, it's just, you know, people are, since I was young, I always thought of it as just like, you know, it's not like people are fucked up. It's just like, we all have stuff and we all kind of act like we don't, like we put this thing forward in our daily lives that is a persona that is without that. But these things are a huge part of, so I've always gotten to know people based on that. That's how I relate to people. I don't really care. I either relate to people on that or like their creative commitments. It's, it's a commitment in either, in, in either direction that I relate to. I think it's like, what are you super committed to? One is like uncontrolled, you know, you don't choose. And one is what you choose. I guess that's, that's what they have in common. Cause I'm super committed to like my skin. It's not, by choice it's not because i'm passionate about it it's because i'll die otherwise <laughs> and then i'm super committed to like you know music and stuff well okay so let's talk about the stuff that you're super committed to by choice so you're in new orleans right now right mm -hmm. tell it me is. about it what's like what's it feeling like today um summer <laughs> yeah the air is thick um but it, it feels relatively back to normal, to be honest. Oh. Um, like Fridays and Saturdays driving by places, like folks are in there and a lot of people aren't wearing masks. Um, so I'm a little. So it's reopened and stuff. Yeah, I, I'm a little uh, about that. But then I'm also like. That's surprisingly. So New Orleans, from what I understand, was one of the hardest hit because of Mardi Gras, oh, oh, potentially. Yeah. And wow. now it's one of the first to reopen. That's surprising. Wow. Um, well, our state legislature passed a bill, I don't know, movement, I don't know what the official word for it is, um, but it's official enough that basically they could cut the legs out from under the governor, our, our red state legislature mm -hmm. disempowered our blue governor, um, such that he no longer has the actual ability to enact his stay-at-home ordinance. Um, the state politics, wow. is like a, a, your own personal eczema if you choose to be committed to it it is i get it yeah it is some shit but um but yeah i mean you know i don't want to be a hypocrite because i'm all like oh like people are at restaurants and up but i went to a you know five protests last week where i'm screaming around other people <laughs> yeah that's that's the funny thing back, it's like that's like one of the main ways that you right. share your germs um so who knows 
<laughs> so what's your, so inside, so, so you are, I, I take it you're, you're kind of, I, I'm, I'm conservative with this, with the reopenings and whatnot. I'm on the, yo, let's like, let's take this slow and measured and be safe. And like, if you really need to do something like, okay, but like most of these things that we're talking about are things that are just like, we feel uncomfortable not being normal, you know, like just maintain your discomfort it for a little longer. That's okay. Cause like, it's going to save lives. I'm very much on that point that like, there are things where it's like, if this does, you know, fiscally, like the balance is really in like, these people will die for some other reason if we don't reset that. But most of the things that we're mad about not reopening are just like, they're not necessary. They're not really essential. They're just like, it would be cool. So I'm all on me. Like just fucking stay home advice. But where do you balance that with, you know, so you made the decision to go out and protest. Like, what was that? Well, I like that my personal setting for that is I've been going in the studio right Mm -hmm. when all this began, maybe took like a month off and then right back into it um, with big Frida and Frida tested positive. The engineer tested positive. Um, Black and Mild, the producer, was in the hospital twice with it. And I've been fine. And so I'm like, okay, I either... You've been tested? Already... No, not yet. Um, I know I I should just go... Because they just popped up some free testing sites. But I didn't want to be one of the people getting one without symptoms. Because it was like they were only doing like 500 a day for a long time. But in response to the protest, they've actually done like four little pop-up sites that you can do. Cool. So maybe I'll go do that today. And Ryan's doing his thing. He told me about doing. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing the testing, which is really cool to think of like, all right, here's this infrastructure uh, of music festivals for context. Uh, my manager produces music festivals and none of these people have jobs, but it's basically the same vendors. You know, we need barricade. All right. We need signage. We need traffic flow. We need a large area. So they've just kind of picked up that infrastructure and set it into the. So smart. Uh, yeah. The setting of COVID testing, which really works. But um. I think there's a certain like, uh, well, for one thing, I think I might have actually had it in February, and that might be why I kind of escaped through. Yeah, it's good to know if you have the antibodies. I want to find out. I can't get tested here because I'm so isolated. I have to go into the city to get tested like two hours away. And it's like, I kind of feel like that's stupid because the whole thing would, you know, it would be like I would endanger myself in order to go find out if i should endanger myself like <laughs> so you got a good situation i keep rolling yeah i'm that's what i'm saying i'm just like either way i think i should just stay here and yeah but i would love to be tested it's like the one time where you're like please test me test yeah me. <laughs> yeah so i don't know we'll see i think that there's a certain invincibility mindset um that comes along with ha- being one of the early hot spots and so mm-hmm. many people having it like no one here, I don't think, can know some, not know someone who has yeah, had it. Everyone's connected. Um, or an, not know someone who's died. You know, I don't, I know of people. I don't know them directly. But, um, and so yeah, I think. I've heard some stories from about New Orleans. Sort of, you know, you just, we adapt. That's like in our nature. And for better or worse, probably for worse, um, I think a lot of the mentality is like, all right, this is what life is like. More people just die. 
you know, and like, I, I don't mean that just in New Orleans, but like, I almost think that there's this sort of national like <laughs> yeah. drug just that's like, you know, I want to, I want to go back to, to normal. I mean, I don't know if there's a more entitled nation uh, than America <laughs> or more. I mean, it's a crazy. Than our, our white people. So folks. It, like just talk. that, that train of thought, that argument of just like, yeah, let's just do it. And just accept that, you know, a lot more people are going to die, but it's not like such a huge number that it will destabilize the country. And just fingers crossed it's not me or anyone I care about. Like, fuck, that's, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> like, it's not, it's actually super logical, but it's so heavy to cross that threshold as a person to just to commit to that logic. Let me throw this at you. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a Leo and so I pay enough attention. I'm a Leo too. August 16th. Yeah. August 1st. <laughs> oh, hey, that's um that's my dead grandmother's birthday. Um so Rest in peace. I paid just enough attention to like be like it's about me 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 me. <laughs> but oh, I yeah. did learn, Everything's so, about me. You know, I don't like <laughs> not sign contracts when Mercury's in retrograde or anything like that. But I'm also like, I used to believe in an actual devil. And so why can't I believe that this crystal's going to give me some good vibes? I'm kind of like skeptically accepting all good vibes without judgment or commitment at this point. <laughs> so with the astrology thing, I learned recently that the last time that Jupiter, which is like the magnifying glass planet, it hones in and magnifies what is, whatever it's in line with. The last time it was in line okay. with Capricorn, which is like, hierarchical structure institution government was the american revolution oh that's pretty cool right so so it's happening times. also we have been in leo for two thousand years and we're currently transitioning into virgo what is currently transitioning mean like but how fast is that transition regulus the star of leo and okay. like our like planet earth we We've been right, right. under that. So how long does that, how long do we get into Capricorn? Like when would that happen? Like when would it be like transition complete? I don't know. in our lifetime or what? I don't know. I need to find that out. I need to so we're, out. so we're dominant but we're leaving. for a reason. That's why. Yeah. Okay. Like, but, but we're, so we're the last Leos. We're like, okay. You and me, we are the last. Yeah. No, <laughs> right, right. Exactly I that. Uh, there was a thread Grimes was was talking about, which I really loved. I'm gonna, I I need to grab it to do it right, but um, uh, if I remember correctly, we are the last generation. We are the last humans to make things on our own. In 20 years, our kids will not make things on their own. They will be either collaborating with artificial intelligence or fully like it will be ai we are the last people to make to have you know fuck don't even worry about like original ideas like we can make covers and stuff like that the last people to do it without a robot unless some people survive the apocalypse and they're like unless it all burns yeah and, making, yeah, it, uh, and they're making fire and we're uh -huh. back to square one yeah, yeah. Unless it's the Matrix Revolutions. What a time to be alive. 
I always, I, I just tell people like whenever this, the, uh, whenever the conversation comes up, I'm always of, of the, uh, the simulation. I'm always just like, first of all, I'm like, this is stupid. Let's not fucking talk about this. Um, second of all, like if, like if I, if I'm like hosting at my house and people start talking about shit like that, I'm like, yo, this is not a college dorm room. Like we're not like, you know, exploring our fucking pot smoking ideas. Like, you know, we're adults, like let's talk about constructive things. But I always do just say like, if we can conceptualize the simulation, the odds of us not being in a simulation are so low. That means that the hubris that it requires to conceptualize of the simulation but deny that we are in it is just is massive it means that we are the first beings to conceptualize of the simulation which is just if that's so i mean that's amazing and we are truly the last leos but <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> i don't think i mean we are. i grew up um like conservative christian and mm -hmm. it was like sinful to even believe that aliens could exist it was so central oh, yeah. to um, the institution of control aspect of the church that it was sinful to believe that there could be other civilizations. Like it was so important mm -hmm. that we be the center um, because I think we have to justify having dominated the shit out of this planet. <laughs> and so it's like, well, those animals are, I remember my granddad getting mad at me because I'm a vegetarian. He was like, God put, animals here for us to eat like that yeah that mindset everything has to come up to justify our dominant position and i'm, I'm seeing these that's very white with race yeah exactly yeah so okay just, yeah. Like, really diving deep in my unlearning process and how everything 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 about my privilege is to, is set up to justify my comfort and to set up to justify the position that i'm in so that we don't have to reckon with it. And yeah, I completely agree. I talk to my family about this and they do not like it and they they dismiss it, you know. They, they, to that they're they're a racism is hatred. You oh, know. right, right. Yeah, god, I mean and, like what a brilliant concept whoever was like, "Hey, let's equate racism with bad people, which makes yeah. the default good people not racist." <laughs> like right. whoever th thought up with that Brilliant way to go. You allowed this to perpetuate for an additional hundred. Exactly. Years, you know, I, I talk about it, you know, and, and I've talked to friends about, I'm, I'm actually, I, I was like in a kind of tiff this morning about it because I posted something on, I have this like private, um, it's like a private home sharing that's built by like entrepreneurs and tech people and stuff who are, I'd say, you know, 99.5% white. And this is like the digital nomad thing where like we basically go to different places in the world and make it Williamsburg. And, you know, we open up a coffee shop that, that serves, you know, with the thing on top, like we open up, you know, and like you go places and all of a sudden you can get the exact same interior design and thread count of your sheets as you have in Williamsburg. And like all, all of that. And that's what this group, does and it started out as like friends hooking friends up with places and then it became a marketplace for it, both a marketplace to get the exact same experience in a different place and um a marketplace for rich people to 
you know, share with other, to, 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 to sell to other rich people. And it perpetuates, it spreads the gentrification. And I brought something up this week that like a lot, of, I, I talked about how, why does everything, why does every listing on this look the same? And, you know, what is, I, I, I didn't say it as a challenge. I said it as like sociologically, like, what do we think? Like, why are, are we all buying from the same places? Has, has the infrastructure consolidated so much that every single time someone decorates their home, they end up figuring out the same option because like that is the best option. You know, we all do our research and we all end up at the same place. Is this search engine optimization? You know, is it just that someone dominates the, so when you start to reach out and look for the options, you end up with this one because they do the best marketing. Is it that we all have developed similar tastes? You know, what, what is it like? And, and I started that conversation. And alongside that, I also started the conversation of like, Hey, so like this marketplace thing is not really helpful. I can go on Airbnb anytime and find a, you know, more like unique and cheaper option than anything in here. And this is really just like a seller's market um, where the value system is, the, is networking and that's not actually valuable for anyone. So what about if this is more of like a traveler's tips? And I gave an example of my trip to Oaxaca where I found this room that was unlisted in this place and it was cheaper and better and it had an amazing view. And, and I gave, so I, I gave the reference point of like, what if someone posted on the group, Hey, I want, I have a month off and I want to go surfing somewhere, you know, budget range, whatever. I could hypothetically respond, go, go to Oaxaca, go to Playa Zipolite, uh, call Hotel Alquimista, ask for David. You could tell him I sent you and ask for room 12 because room 12 is not listed because it's not upgraded with all of the new amenities, but it's cheaper and it has the best view and it's by far the best room. They won't tell you about it unless you specifically ask for it. And I made this reference and someone responded. And so like a hundred people responded and was like, this is great. This is much more useful than, so like getting personal experience, like hookups, you know, like do exactly this, go to this restaurant, order, order this dish, whatever, like, like in new Orleans, like, get the turtle soup by, you know, at this specific place, whatever, like, um, and someone responded and thought that it was a plug and like called me out, like in a really like hateful way was like, fuck this guy, you know, like me, uh, who's just, she, she said that I was, uh, she was like, this was an, a really elaborate, she was like, bravo on the elaborate guerrilla marketing, spelled G-O-R, by the way. Um, <laughs> but clearly, but like, does no one else see what this fucking guy is doing here? Um, and she thought that I was doing the whole post to advertise my friend's hotel. And I respond, I tore, I ethered her right away. I just like, she was this blonde San Diego girl who moved to, I, I did like, 30 seconds of research to, you know, it wasn't hard to find. Uh, she owns a salon on Abbott Kinney now, and she's like super dyed hair, blonde, like red face, big teeth, white person from San Diego. Um, and assumed that I was like the gentrifier because it was in this group. And I went, I went there and I said, uh, I, I first, I responded like to what was really going on. Uh, and then second, I was just like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm surprised you were able to see this. I thought you'd be too busy posting a black square and captioning hashtag no words. And the organizer of the group messaged me and was very upset 
that I was being a prick to her and making it about racism. And she didn't uh, understand why I was making it about racism. And the reason why I was making it about racism is because this group perpetuates racism. There's no one in there who's like using the N word or, you know, like doing something. They're, they're not like going to KKK rallies and stuff. They're probably in the protests, like, like the Black Lives Matter protests. They're definitely posting black squares. They are definitely posting, you know, where to donate and they're donating $5 at a time. They are doing that for sure. But they are also in a group that is 99.5%. And again, I'm, that's a wild estimate, but I doubt it's very far. There's probably five black people in this group of like a thousand people. Um, it's all white people and they are making things look the same everywhere and selling those places to other white people in places that, you know, so I was, I was sharing a locally owned hotel th that is locally operate, you know, run and operated. And everyone just assumes that it's Tulum and that it's some white person going in and developing the land and building it for, you know, building Williamsburg in Tulum. And this, this, these people perpetuate this South park did an, a whole season on this on whole foods and Williamsburg. And, you know, it, it does it much more eloquently than I can, but people don't get that that is racist. And that's, that is the problem that they think that like, oh, I have black friends. I'm cool. Oh, I have never used the N word. I'm okay. You know, it's the same thing with women. It's like, I, I'm not a rapist, so I'm not misogyny. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not a bad guy. And like, the line is very different. There is no real line. It's, it's right in front of your face and it's amorphous and, yeah. Why are you in the group? I'm in the group because of, so before you and I knew each other, okay, the reason why Travis Lauren Dean knows me is because there was a time period where, so my life is built on, this is why I've like reset and removed myself from the world because my life has been this series of deep dives into different groups where I go all the way in and learn everything there is to learn and become really good at it and distill what I think is valuable. And I do something in that, that area that is impactful. And then I usually move on. And I did that in the tech world around 20, you know, 2013 or whatever. And I was very, I was very like influential in a, in the, in the growth of like the late 2010, you know, so like 2009, 10, 11, in the growth of like entrepreneurship crossing into like a cool thing. I was, I was like a part of that. I didn't, I, I wasn't thinking that way. I was just like back then in the early 2010s, like tech was fucking cool. It was exciting. And my best friends were the people who went on to, to start, you know, gig the gigantic things, the biggest tech companies. Those were all my, those were my, that was my squad back then. And I was part of some, some communities that would integrate this and would build it. And I was like one of the, you know, alpha guys in this, it was all, it was all white guys. And I was, I was one of them. And, um, that community is still going and I removed myself years ago, but it's still going. And I still have, you know, I, if I, if I, poke my head out. If I throw a party, they all show up still. And if I, if I say something, they, they still, you know, I still command a tiny 1% of, of 
an audience in that community. Because uh, the people who are most influential who stayed are still like they know me, but no one else knows me, no one below, but I get co-signed. Um, but I removed myself years ago. I fucking hate it. So I only chime in to criticize, honestly. And that's why this person got mad because like, so, so I came with the receipts though. And I was like, well, for the first two years of your community, if you don't remember, I left, I lent my Los Angeles apartment for free, never charged anybody. And then when I moved, you know, when I got rid of it and I asked the community for places to stay while I was traveling, no one had a place for me. And they tried to charge me $600 a night for, you know, a studio in, in, in New York. And so, you know, what am I like? Those are my receipts, actually. Uh, but I fucking hate these people. I hate this community. My um, only communicate with them because there's a bunch of people that I do like in the community who are who are not as committed to these things as I am I don't demand this kind of commitment from everyone I am I'm I'm hardcore in my lifestyle I remove myself I go aggressive when I think it's required I don't mind that fight um, I don't mind getting criticized I don't mind saying something that gets me in trouble like I, I do that and most people do. Most people are, are, don't like to expose themselves that way. So I do. So uh, yeah, so that, that's the, the, the reason my entire involvement in this community as of you know, June 12th, 2020 is I have a bunch of friends in there that I really, really like. And I stick around to try and civilize. As uh, Jeff Daniels would say on Newsroom, that Aaron Sorkin show, I'm on a mission to civilize. And yeah, like, so I do that. And then I, I get like a whirlwind of, of hate and I respond calmly and with receipts. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to make that community better. Something I've been really focused on the past few weeks is the, like, okay, you get to the step where you're able to recognize racism is not this very small set of qualifiers using the N word. Yeah. Um, being like the, easiest one that we throw around yeah um but then like the next step for me has been to not other the people who are less competent at conversations on race because okay. it puts me in this position where i'm like i'm one of the good white people with <laughs> i'm you know i'm quote, anti-racist, as if it's a place that you can arrive to. Dare I say you are woke. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's not um, like that is an ego trap that doesn't allow uh -huh. for, for movement. And I just see so much of that happening in the in the liberal community where we're it's yes. just like white people yelling at each other uh, based on our our various levels of competency and like and I use the word competency because it's like you know I, I look at um country music friends all lives matter people who outright deny racism exists and my instinct is to be like that's bad they're bad mm -hmm. and it doesn't leave me any room to like work with it and try to move it but if I look at that and I'm like okay they just have below beginner level competency at understanding issues of race Whereas the people on my liberal side of life have um, advanced beginner levels of competency at understanding race. And I'm actually in this course that's like, quick note, uh, I'm on like a path of spiritual awakening and that work, you know, call it therapy, self-improvement, self-help, whatever work you want to call it, um, 
Just being a person. Like, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, <laughs> that work informs like the anti-racism work. Like the anti-racism work Great. itself isn't the self-improvement work. So with that work, it's been really exciting to see direct ways that I can like apply it. And so this course, The Language of Being, talks about that scale of competency and that the idea that there's this line and above the line of competency where you have like beginners, advanced beginners, virtuosos, masters, <laughs> those people, when they're taking effective action, they're opening up possibilities for other people. Their competency creates yeah. the opening of possibilities and below yeah. the line, their competency closes possibilities. And so like, I would say like, the all lives matter people, the people that deny that racism even exists, they're, they're just below that line of competency. And if I can, that very subtle switch in my mind of not just thinking they're bad has helped me so much actually be able to interact. Cause I used to just unfollow that shit, just get it out, get it out. And then I realized like, right. Oh, I'm closing my totally echo even tighter and, and tighter and until my feed is just black squares, you know, and it's like, well, that's yeah. not, and so it's like, you got to leave. Well, that's some, not productive. You got to leave some brunch in your feed. <laughs> Here's um, two parts on, okay. One on what you just said, totally agree. And I, I think that I, I would never claim myself to be, you know, a progressively unracist white person, not at all. Like, I don't, I genuinely don't think that. I think that I have tons of, like I spoke about my family, like I said it, like I have it ingrained in me. I have tons of racism that naturally, my, my instincts are fucking racist. So my like self-work, whatever you want to call it, as you, as you were, you know, trying to find the word is on being a person, is on the same thing, you know, what I started when I was young with, with the first was with girls in my life. When I was like 10, I realized something that, that one of my friends was going through that other people didn't understand. And that set me off on the rest of my life. But it, it's, it's just general empathy. And, it, you know, and then it developed when I was in high school about homosexuality. I was, I was having this catch up with a friend who was the first one to say, uh, she said in assembly, that's so gay is offensive. And she got railed. Everyone, everyone just like destroyed her and was like, oh, you know, you're too stuck up, blah, blah, blah. And I remember being her friend and being like, wait, I think she's right. But like, I'm not, I don't, I don't have the vocabulary yet to understand why or articulate it. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and racism in my life probably came last because of just my surroundings, you know, but for sure. Yeah. Uh, we just have to be, um, we just have to be on this course, like you say, like literal course or metaphorical course of learning. And like, I just, I see myself as someone who's really good at learning, but I'm not good at racism. Like I'm, I don't think about it that way. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty good with, with misogyny. I think I can speak as a, as a male really well like I just made a film that like the feminist curator like the feminist curator for a specific really really big festival told me I shouldn't show at the festival that I wanted to show at because that festival is misogynist and that my film is too feminist for that festival not like that festival wouldn't want it but that it would be like disrespectful to, to like me to my work to align it with them so like I got my receipts on that, I think, but I don't have anything on like racism. Like I'm not like better at that than I'm well, just ready to listen. You know, you have, since you feel like capable 
in the realm of misogyny. Um, this activist and teacher, Rachel Cargill, does an amazing okay. job of creating parallels uh, between racism, white oh, privilege, really cool. and the Me Too movement, because it's like most of us, air quote, woke people understand the terminology around the Me Too movement enough that it's like it almost become colloquial. And mm -hmm. so she just takes it and draws these parallels and it, it, it does make it crystal clear. So like all lives matter. That's There's a lot of white bros who dismiss me too also just like tons. But now There's tons of, like, I have so many single white bro, you know, liberal friends, like mainstream liberal, not right wing, not like country Western, you know, regular guys who like have, we, we know together who are like, not okay who were not on the side of the me too shit i just mean it's it's less <laughs> understood than we think it is in my i i'm yeah. a i'm a white i'm a straight white cisgender male and i get the boys talk you know i get the out of school talk and like it's gross from guys that we think are further along than, than they we might think be. they are yeah. Well, okay. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Please continue. Oh no, it was fine. I thought it was also funny because when you said that, I made a big frown. But realizing on the podcast, people won't be able to see it. But hopefully, they sense the frown. <laughs> yeah. um, hopefully, they are frowning as well. <laughs> well, something else I've learned. Sorry, I'm just been like, I read this. I read this because that's just like what I've been immersed in lately. But um, is like, so most men will admit that women are at a disadvantage. And they'll even commit to working against that disadvantage, but they will not admit that they have an advantage because there is a, what? of course there's a core, you know, there's a correlation always, but you're, the nature of privilege is that you don't see it because it's working on your behalf. And so there's all these studies of men being like, yes, women are at a disadvantage. Yes, we should work to help that. No, my life hasn't been, I haven't been offered any great advantages. And the same is true for white privilege. White oh, you mean like, when they put it into a micro on them on their individual self, they yeah, won't like, identify actually, individual they won't own, moments. What they'll okay. actually own and say, like, well, oh, I'm so this. open to you know, identifying like, that for myself. I'm totally okay with that. I've had it. It's, I mean, the nature of it isn't necessarily to call people out so much as to show that the way that privilege works is 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 the blind spot. And so, like, you know, you can be aware of the disadvantages, articulate them, articulate that you will work on behalf of fixing them and still not know to be able to own that the opposite side of disadvantage is advantage and that's where you are living. And I think that mm. that's probably the case with a lot of the, the, the liberal male friends is that they're like, oh, well, I have the vernacular of the disadvantage. But to actually learn the advantage part of it is, really shitty and painful and like what I've been doing like the past two weeks is like fuck you don't you have to realize that you're not the person that you think you are yeah. um and it's yeah it's shitty but it's not for us to feel good that's not the point of it like we can we can sit around a room with 100 you know of these guys that, that I'm talking about we can we can do this for misogyny or racism same thing will happen and we can talk about you know uh wh what's the the number one in four or something like that whatever like the rape number of you know who have experienced sexual you know violent sexual assault uh, i think it's much higher but we can have that discussion and everyone can agree yes we know women who have been you know violently raped but then and, and you can get a consensus. You can get 100 guys in a room 
and get a consensus from all of them. Get, get, you look at each one and, and let the, you could talk it through and eventually get them to all understand rape is not like some abstract thing that, you know, is happening off in some other part of the world. Like it happens to a lot of the women that we know. And then if you flip the conversation and you, out of a hundred guys, you know, you could, you could agree on a percentage, let's say of like how many women have been, been raped. And then you ask each of the guys, you know, they will not, not one will own up to having maybe overstepped, maybe done something that they shouldn't have maybe contributed to this problem, maybe actually been straight up a violent rapist, like in a room of a hundred guys, you will all of a sudden, they will agree that they're, you know, out of a hundred, there are probably, you know, there are probably 30 or 40, at least you'll get them to agree that you pick a hundred guys and there's 30 or 40 rapists in them. And then you get a hundred guys and none of them will, none of them will self-identify and they will mean it. They won't just be hiding it publicly. They will sincerely inside mean that they think that they're that good guy. And that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. That's a huge problem because amplify that, you know, magnify that. And what happens, what change happens. So here's a parallel, like this, this can go right into actions. Like we had a couple of years ago with me too, uh, there was a pledge for female engineers to be considered for jobs by, you know, by major record labels and production companies and all of that, like that happened and that they were going to consider a percentage or something like that. That was the language. I believe it was the word consider. And of course it's led to nothing. And you know, what, what do you see in the music industry? Cause this is a tangible for women and for black people. There's a tan there's tangible movement that can be created. So what, what have you seen over the last few years with me too? And likewise right now, which is more immediate. Um, what have you seen energy wise, language wise, communication wise and, and actions? Well, here, here's my issue with the me too movement that directly correlates to, I think a challenge in progress in the racial injustice conversation is that it's, it, it goes back to the othering, right? Like how, how you said, like none of those guys will own it. Um, the approach, because it's easier to do this, has been to find, quote unquote, the bad guys mm -hmm. and punish them. And like, we're you know, gonna... Harvey Weinstein raped hundreds of women and that's why the statistic is high because he's, a, he's, a, he's an exponential <laughs> rapist. Like no one else did, but Harvey Weinstein's responsible for hundreds of other men that would have otherwise contributed to the statistic. Like, like the idea being that we can eventually weed, weed all the bad ones out and just yeah. leave behind. Just get rid of the um, ugly ones even. And then like, but, but if they're yeah. handsome, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, the analogy I use is like, you know, the game whack-a-mole. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell, no, you're not the only one to use it. It's absolutely. Yeah. Instead of just burning the actual machine. Burn and, it the fuck and, down. <laughs> the same is true in, in racism. It's like the point of anti-racism work isn't like to weed out and like find the, the good racists and the bad racists and like separate mm -hmm. them and punish the bad ones. It's like the whole point is this reckoning that we're supposed to happen, have happened. And when I see like, I mean, it's not happening as much now, but when I would see another cancellation mm -hmm. of a cisgender straight white man, I wouldn't feel any sense of 
forward progression or justice because I'm like, this is just going to perpetuate the concept that, that this works. Hunt, what, that what this is, is a hunt for bad people uh -huh. instead of what this is, is a, you know, a national societal reckoning that moves. Because you have to just admit, like I, I, as a woman have been a contributor to rape culture. You like, you just have to admit that and sure. sit in the discomfort of it and be able to be like, why? Why is that? Because like, that's what makes it interesting. Not like, oh, well, that's because I'm a good person or because I'm a bad person. That doesn't leave any real room for, for discourse. Like, we're just so invested in being good people that yeah. we're bad people, <laughs> I think. Um, but yeah, I, you asked me about the music industry specifically, and I went on my little, sure. my little soapbox. But No, not at all. This is like, I, this is I, like I, why I make the show the way that I make it because I don't want it to just be like let's talk to boyfriend about like what you know about what she's working on and stuff yeah. and oh what's touring life like like I don't want to do that I you know people can go, like go go YouTube another interview with her and like you can get all that we'll go into it a little bit but like nah this is like just let's talk about shit that we really care about you know heard that um well I don't know if I have the best insight on the music industry to be to be honest because I'm entirely independent I I've okay. never had a publishing deal, never had a record deal. Um, I've had an agent. He was just dropped in the giant run of paradigm layoffs um, in response to COVID. Um, and like, I don't, that used to be like my banner, my like big suffering banner is like, I, you know, I've, I wear rejection <laughs> like a uniform. Like no one wants to fuck with me. Duh, duh. Um, but now I'm actually like kind of pumped because it's like, whenever I do get a deal or do get a publishing deal, um, if ever, it's like, cool. I did all, like I already know how to do all this because I did it. Me and Ryan, like mm -hmm. me and my manager, we've just been figuring this out on our own and have been able to pull off things that I don't. I honestly don't know if any other person who has done some of the stuff that I have done doesn't have industry support, um, mm -hmm. like the level that I do. Like have played almost every major music festival, received press after playing those music festivals without a publicist, like it's it's kind of like it's kind of neat you know um absolutely so I and mean, that's my, why i'm talking to you yeah i think it's <laughs> more than neat i think it's it's commendable so my, it's, you know, it's in that way my perspective is like i don't interact with that much of the music industry that um, totally makes sense yeah you know musicians engineers writers yeah. artists um you know those are my friends that's my people community. making stuff and, um, and fans yeah and, and within that community i haven't had issues i, I think that because of the nature of my work people know better than to come around me with that bullshit with mm -hmm. any people like people will be like oh you know you perform in, in lingerie do you have people hitting on you and you know the male gaze and at the merch table does it get weird I'm like never never <laughs> I, people are terrified you, they see my show who asks you that question like what's the context that you get oh, that also, question all walks of life people will be like so you know does that happen to you um because I think a lot of people are uncomfortable are a uncomfortable um in their bodies to the level of being on stage in, in lingerie like, oh, i can't imagine doing that i can't imagine doing that. just fine it's not everyone shouldn't do that um mm. and, and b are themselves trying to figure out how they feel about the gays and the male gays not the gays g-a-z-e <laughs> <laughs> <-A> yeah <laughs> um and so and so they think oh, okay let me ask her because she probably has insights on this um and so i think that's why i get well that. that's that's a projection that you're receiving right there that's someone yeah. not asking they're you a like, question they're telling you shit, exactly um, they're telling you their experience 
and asking you to frame it for them. And they're, they're framing that in the form well, of a question. The strippers to ask. And that's, yeah. you know, it's the same essential thing. And, and I'll, I'll usually tell them, like I used to strip. And so I'll usually bring that up as well. It's like, you know, where I first learned that my, my body and my nakedness didn't have to be, um, weaponized against me, but could be something mm-hmm. that is my own, my own tool was when I was stripping. I mean, well, let's be real. It was when I was going to church in my halter top and got pulled aside by the wives of the <laughs> elders and told never wear that top again. I was like, Oh wait, this shit, sure. my tits have power in them. <laughs> but then it was, um, you know, coming with like, all right, now hold these three sandbags full of shame and carry them around for the next decade. Um, whereas now it's just more of an empowering thing. Um, so no, I don't, um, I don't get in my personal interactions with the music industry, icky shit. I don't have many of those stories of um, like someone assuming that I'm like not a member of the band because I'm a woman, like I'm a solo artist. And so that, that type of stuff doesn't happen to me. So I'm really right. lucky in that way that I haven't had to deal with that bullshit. Those like regular institutionalized microaggressions, they, also, they avoid you. There's something to be said that if, if someone has booked my show, um, they, they know probably like have a more enlightened concept of feminism. Yeah. Um, there's been a few, you know, it's hard to be an opening act. It's hard to go in somewhere where they don't know. I did have a bad experience at, um, at the Blue Note where I had like a show and they started- Wait, In New Orleans? No, in, in New York. And in New they, York, oh really, wow. Yeah, like classic, you know, I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, I'm playing this, you know, legendary place. That's my neighborhood. I don't play an instrument, blah, blah, blah. Well, let me finish yeah. the story because it ends up, it ends up. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> and so the, the show before ran 45 minutes late. We had 10 minutes to do a changeover. You know, I, I do a costume change every single song. So I'm having to mm. frantically set all that stuff up. That's in a um, not accurate information about the way the stage was laid out and all this. So we were like frantically doing it. And he was like, fine, shows start late. But one of my friends who was in line to get in texted me, hey, the manager just came out and said, that you're the reason that they're running late that like, Hey, sorry, she's just dealing with all this stuff and she's trying to set up these props and two twos. And I don't know. So, you know, she's doing her thing. Y'all, if y'all want to keep waiting, you can wait. And I'm like, okay, that is sexism. That is an example of me experiencing sexism in the industry. But then I did my show and the entire staff was like, Oh shit, this is awesome. And they totally, totally got on board and totally had to change apart. Completely apologetic. And, that's like, that's what the work is, right? Is catching yourself in those little um, ingrained judgments, knee jerk judgments, like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a chick, she's got to have all of her costumes, blah, 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 blah. The, the violence that's in that is small enough that it could then within two hours be turned around that we're sitting and having whiskey and talking it out. And um, so that- It's nice to view to be more open of that enough. So we could have more of that, that conversation. <laughs> So yeah, I would remember the Jefferson Davis protests. Yeah, I think that you were in. weren't you in town for? I was there. Yeah. 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 Did you you went? Did you go during the day? Did you go at all? Mm -mm. So I went. You remember like the platform, the issues, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I regret not going. I remember being in and out of town like crazy world when I was like, Oh, just, I got to unpack and repack and blah, blah, you know, it yeah, you had a bunch of shows that I think it was the rained out jazz fest. Yeah. Year, right? And my like, entire family yeah. was in town. It was a yeah. lot, but 
you know, that's still an excuse, but go well, on. No, whatever. But not, not, not the point at all. Like, like doesn't matter. Um, but I went in the middle of the night by myself and went and talked to those guys and the, like the white supremacist, the quote, white supremacist Nazis, you know, neo-Nazi guys with all the guns and stuff who were camping out. And they, you know, to, to just paraphrase it, basically like, I just wanted to know like what they, who they were, what they really had to say, because I was getting it secondhand from all these other people in the press and stuff. And I went and talked to them and like, it was a very different story. Like everything that they, first of all, they had no idea what was being said toward them. They, they didn't receive whatever like argument was being had from the liberal side. They were not getting it because because they were just standing there and they'd be shouting at each other, but like they didn't know what problem why they were offending people, you know. So it just became a fight. And then what they were saying, the reasons why they were there, were entirely different than what I had been told they were protesting. Like it had it just. I I, I don't want to go into all the like the ins and outs of the economical divide. And it was about economics and it was about how their representatives were not, it wasn't again, it wasn't racist. It was, it was actually the opposite of racist. It was that uh, they are white people who are partied together with rich white people. They are poor white people who are partied together with rich white people that don't actually represent people like them in their economic bracket. And the people who represent uh, people in their economic bracket are black and black people live in different places and have different in the, in where, where, where they come from. They live in different neighborhoods and they have different structural, their lives are structured differently. So their representatives that rep, the, the people that represent them build laws and causes around the structure of, of the black family and the white family in the same economic bracket has no representation. So that's what they were protesting I'm trying to, to summarize it in the easiest way without getting like, you know, granular into the actual like laws that they're talking about, but that's what they were protesting that no, they couldn't be heard through their representatives because they, their representatives don't actually represent them. They're not, they don't actually vote for them and they're getting there. So they're having the liberals and the Democrats fighting at them, but they're not even like, they, they don't, they don't care. So when, what it turns into is these guys are racists and these guys are white supremacists and stuff. They are just white people. Let me, I'm not like siding with them or anything like that. I'm, I'm just, this is their, what they have to say. They're not white supremacists. They are white and they want more money because they're poor and they're, you know, hungry. Like they're actually super poor and they're not getting represented. And it's just a totally different and there, and you know, when when I asked them straight up, you know, I'm like, I'm Jewish. Like, they're like, yeah, like we don't fucking hate you. We don't really care. Like, yeah, you're the first Jew I've ever talked to like this in my life. But like, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, like I I don't hang out with a lot of Jews, but not like yelling, you know, slurs at you. I don't care. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think I buy it. First of all, I think all white people are white supremacists. <laughs> we are, and. I also think the complaint of like, you know, the, the whole argument that a lot of people use about how like identity politics have gotten us here because uh, they left out the poor white middle class of middle America. It's just, yeah, kind of I honestly like, don't know, to be clear. I'm no, not like an expert. I just think that it's like, okay, if you're, 
if, if this isn't about race, why did you pick this racially charged setting as your platform? Like, what does this statue have to do with your representation? Have you called your representatives? And what actual bullet point item could they offer you of them not being represented? Because it probably just means that they don't look like them. Like, like just white people are so fucking sensitive that I heard this recently, like when you're used to 100%, 98% feels oppressive. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, we're not represented. It's like, I call bullshit. That's true. That's, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, that's why I was saying, like, I don't know. I am just paraphrasing what they told me. So I, I, I didn't go back and like call the representatives and be like, well, this guy told, you know, and, and fucking yeah. 3 a.m. told me this story. Like I, I wasn't, the, the main takeaway that I got from that is these sides are not communicating. Whatever they think they are communicating to the other side is not landing, is not getting there. Yeah. And they think that the other person is saying something that they are not saying. Well, and it's, yeah. it's very rare we're going to be offered the clarity of, mm -hmm. I believe that the white race is supreme. Mm -hmm. Not many people are going to offer us that clear of a line in the sand where it's suddenly like we're in Lord of the Rings or we're in Star Wars and you either pick up the lightsaber or you don't. Like They will say, work is we built this trouble. place and now it's being handed over to other people. And we just want to make sure that we can still have a place here. And yeah. it's okay if the other people have a place here, but it's not right for them to take our place. They will say that. And then you ask them about the native Indians and stuff. And they're like, you know, <laughs> then it goes, then it, then it goes, then they start, then it gets aggro because they have no answer for that. When you start talking about native Americans, native Indians, like. It'd be, you know, it'd be great if more people would articulate their position so clearly, but. Even if it's I racist. That, <laughs> but I don't think that they, yes. Uh, but I don't think that they, um, they know enough and absorbed enough to know to not articulate that. And maybe no, they don't even maybe articulate it within their deepest subconscious. But if yeah. they did, this work would be a lot easier. <laughs> I try and articulate um, my position regularly, even when yeah. I get hit. Like I, I, I get hit back all the time. You know, it's, um, it's the people who say, well, I'm not racist. I have black friends. Like that is actually what's our problem. Not the, not the Confederate flag waving yeah. white supremacist gun carrying like self-proclaimed neo-nazi like yeah that th those fringe things will always exist unfortunately it's more of like shifting the big chunk in the middle away from their denial that i think could actually move us forward uh, I, and I feel, i've kind of developed that perspective in my leaving of christianity and i had a time of like aggressive anti-christianity and was just like fuck you know it's not these um, it's not the Mormons. It's not the extremists. It's not the missionaries that are keeping us here. It's, it's the, the people who are like, I mean, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, okay, well, do you believe in the devil? Well, no. All right. Well, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? I mean, no, not really, but I'm a Christian. I'm like, well, why do you use that word? You're just continuing yeah. to give that word power. If you don't subscribe to the list of things that that word would say you subscribe to. Judaism know? has a very weird, even more complicated dynamic with that because we identify as a race and we identify as a religion. But I'm so all about says, that. Like, th that's, yeah, it just complicates it, yeah. To, to Judaism because I think, well, as a, as a good old, um, what's the word? Former, I don't know, former and therefore guilty Christian. I love <laughs> this culture. You know, I'm like, I, I grew up being like jealous. Like, oh man, like 
you can be Jewish and like not necessarily believe in an afterlife and still have yeah. access of community and culture yeah. and like authors. And oh yeah. I have rabbis time. over Friday afternoon before Shabbat every Friday at my house in New York, when I'm in New York, they come over and we just talk about God and stuff. And I am a, you know, I was a super, super like Orthodox raised, not, not super. I was not, not super Orthodox, like, um, you know, black hat. I, I just mean, I was definitively Orthodox. I was not reform. I was not conservative. I was bar mitzvahed for four and a half hours. I did all this stuff. So I was raised to, you know, believe in God and whatnot. And I just, I, you know, I think I don't really think about God in the same way, uh, starting around then, but yeah, but we sit and we talk about it and we are like super cool. Like they're like family and they are devout and they, you know, drink out of plastic cups in my house. Like, I have cups just for them that are wrapped in plastic to only be used by them in a drawer that like, I don't let other people into because like they're in my house and they know that my house is like tainted with things. And I'm like, cool. I'm not like offended oh, wait, by that. Okay. I was going to ask about the plastic. Yeah. Cause uh, meaning it's not plastic. The point is not plastic is that a glass has been used by someone else and that other person has, has had things that they do not have. Oh, and, got it, got it. So they want something that is fresh. And if they're going to drink water in my house, even just a glass of water, if I'm going to give them that, I have to give it to them out of a plastic cup. That so, so I say that just to mean like they reject a huge part of my lifestyle and I do not subscribe to a huge part of their lifestyle. They invite me all the time and I don't go because I don't want that just straight up. Like I just, I don't, you know, I always say thank you so much, you know, love you guys like really. And I just, I don't go we meet in the middle and we have a lovely exchange and a lovely relationship. But if I went and I, you know, there's probably different rabbis that I wouldn't get along with so well and stuff like that. So I don't go, but, um, cause I, I've, I've been, and I just, I know where I stand, but, That's um, awesome. yeah. I think but, it's like pretty fucking cool. <laughs> but what I have read and what I do know about it when I was, when I was in the process of leaving the church was like, mm -hmm. wait, I like the way they're approaching this. It just felt more rooted in rationality. That's and awesome I should clarify that like my particular brand of Christianity is white and church of Christ specifically within Protestantism. Um, and so I don't, I, I learned to not project um, my experience onto all the other forms of Christianity. And like, okay. cause it's not, it's not accurate. Um, the, the churches that I grew up in, you're not really going there for joy. You're going there for punishment and, mm -hmm. and shame and, and hatred and the most of the sermons like at the rural my two grandparents their two churches most of the sermons were just lists of what people were going to hell and why they were going to hell it was basically a very institutionalized practice of othering mm -hmm. um and so like yes. i grew, i grew up believing that my catholic friends who believed in jesus were going to hell it was that intense of a uh, a closing off and the churches I've, the Christian churches I've been to since, um, there's a lot of opening up and welcoming. Okay. And that, so I, I recognize now that, that that does exist within that institution. So I don't want to be like too much of a hater. Like, would I appreciate a religion free world? Yeah, but I don't think we're yeah. getting there anytime soon. I would say, I would go further. I would say ideologically free world. I'm yeah. openly anti, I don't believe in the yeah. idea of ideology. I don't believe in the idea of identity. I, I, I don't believe in any of that. Sorry? Do you read the Tao? Years ago. 
I'm going to send uh, you that I'm reading now. Great, um, please. So it's the, William Martin will do these like thematic collections and interpretations of the Tao and the activist mm -hmm. like Tao. Like when I was in school, you know. It's like, yeah. it's the shit. Um, okay. it's, it's what It speaks to like, how, how do you um, be an activist without believing that it's your job to change the world? Which is a very... Oh, I can go on a whole thread. I won't, but about the term change the world. Oh, man. It's someone in my house. Uh, I had a dinner, not a dinner party. I just had three friends over for dinner last week. And someone told me that this book was going to change my life. And, uh, and I, and I, I literally, I like, uh, I said, like, because we're in my house, I want to just like, go into that term a little bit because I don't want that term used in my house like <laughs> but yeah you know I what think. that reminds me of I know this is so silly <laughs> but like I don't want to go skydiving okay I, I'm not interested in becoming a person who rides a bike to get to where I need to go and okay. I'm not good at cooking and I don't want to become good at cooking and those Great. three things whatever I articulate them like out in the world instantly they create this need for someone to like evangelically change my mind like but cooking's easy oh all you do is you put the oil in the pan and then you just and right. like like or anytime have you noticed like anytime you compliment someone's cooking they start explaining to you how they made it as if it's that's terrible. what you yeah. ask you know it's like right. i mean there's some like larry david level annoyances it's yeah, yeah, yeah. um but yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> Don't try to make these grand sweeping changes. Like I got it. I'm I'm doing all right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah. I I wanted to say to him like, you could do anything you want in your life, but you're at dinner in my house, and this is my bubble, and you know my safe place, and uh, I don't want people recommending things that can change my life. Like you know. Is your name? apartment still the one with the waterfall and the yeah i mean it's sitting there empty for the whole year i'm getting rid of it mice having fun in there right now my my ex goes there and like oh, checks good. on it and good. she's like selling all my shit now so she stays there sometimes still um, yeah so many people who left new york and are like oh i just left my apartment empty i'm like uh, uh yeah um no that apartment's awesome did ryan tell you like we've been there because our friends used to live there oh yeah well, who carry yeah awesome yeah, yeah yeah cool yeah yeah, it's a great spot. Uh, but I'm uh, that chapter. I'm happily I'm moving on. Yeah, I don't think I'm getting another place, but I'm not gonna move back there. But it's an awesome apartment. Uh, it just needs a lot of work. And I don't want to deal with it anymore. And there's like tons of just energy that I want to be like new chapter, you know? Oh, like for that. sure. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing spot. Like, for the listeners, it has a waterfall inside <laughs> of it with this, yeah. uh, this little stream that you can like walk over and see through and it has you know fish living in it and then the stream goes into this little courtyard outside um and everything is curved there are no right angles yeah um so it's amazing but like at some point you're like am i marina abramovich like i don't want to live inside of this art piece forever it's yeah it, it is it is living inside of an art piece and it birthed screenplays and a book and like lots of cool stuff and you know but it's a cave and um it's also just not in good shape. Like I think that might have been responsible for my getting sick and stuff. Like there was mold in there and stuff. And 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 they're more just like there's bad people. Uh, well, I mean, no, I hate the, the phrase bad people. I don't want to use that. Like there's there's um yeah <laughs> there's people who are in conflict. There's a lot of conflict around the place around money and ownership that I'm not involved in, but I end up being in the middle of 
because I can ignore it or I can, you know, and it can hurt me, but I have to deal with it. And everyone has crossed a threshold, everyone involved. So, so this is my difference of, I'm not saying bad people. I'm saying they've crossed a threshold whereby what they want is, and they can articulate why what they want, even if it hurts the others, is what they're going, they're committed to getting what they want, even if it hurts the other people. So every single, there's like four parties involved who are all well past that threshold. Mm. And that is not a place that I want to be in because I'm not across that threshold and they will not bring me across. I will not cross that threshold for these motherfuckers. <laughs> like <laughs> They will not. Yeah. Uh, okay. Backwards, because this, I think, is like the solution to all of it. Uh, is, you know, so you talked about how you kind of built this, this artist life, business, whatever, fan base, you know, on your own. Uh, a, a couple months ago, we're talking, I wrote this essay and like, we're talking about, you know, I think the patronage model is really important moving forward for artists. I think that the system, I've been saying for years, you know, the system only requires two people, the maker and the consumer, you know, so everything else is in between. And the more we, the more the creatives can control, can, can systematize, can make their own system, that, that the big system, all it is, is just more experience. It's not more money, more experience. The, the money that they have buys more revolutions, more systemic uh, proficiency. But at any given time, anyone can team up and develop their verticals horizontally, you know, develop one, then another, then another, then another. And you can band those together. And that could be people or that can be fan bases or that can be uh, financial revenue streams, creative outputs. And you can build your own system that is independent. And it's not, it, we think of independent, I think, in, a, in the wrong way, where it's like an indie label or something like that. But, but the independence is building your own system and, and you've done that. So I'd love to, to go into that a little bit and, and, you know, talk, maybe go backwards about like you said, you know, you didn't get the deals and whatever. So where, where you got into it and it became your route. And, and I would like to, you know, trace the path to it. Like, I think that people who build your system, they don't need to deal with the kind of systemic racism and things like we've talked about in the same way. We don't come across the same choices. When you go and build your own system, you don't end up coming across the same shitty choices as you do when you're like, should I take this A&R position at this major label? Oh, but if I do, that means I can't really give black artists a fair shake. You don't have to make that choice when you build your own system. So I'd love to go backwards and talk about how you came about. Like, I want to rap and I want to perform and I'm going to build it. And then you ended up building your own system. So, so what, yeah, how did that start out? And, and what did you, what were the choices? Um, well, it's, it didn't start out as intentional as like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, mm -hmm. And so because of that, it, it grew. So I hate this buzzword organically, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was truly but like, it's one of those words that like, there's not really a better word for know, it, it's even really as good. much as we cringe saying yeah. it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I had a job, I had a career and this was just fun. It's like, you know, I have this rap. I'm going to record it. Okay. I have this song. I'm going to make a music video. 
oh, I have this outfit. I want to use this in the music video. It was so, it was play. It was so oh. playful and fun. And don't get me wrong. I, I wanted it to be seen. I wanted Paper Magazine to write about me. You know, I, I still want Tyler, the creator, to hear one of my songs. You know, I still had that, that desire. Um, but I didn't have the, Have you like, never connected with him and you've tried? No, I've never tried. You know. um, if you it was just want, that, that I can... That sort of idea of like, I want recognition from the people I respect. That that drove it, but not okay. um, I want this to be my career. That subtle difference didn't really click for me until um, some industry attention. Ironically, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a publicist came to me and was like, "Hey, we really think we can give you some awesome placements. Do you want to do this six month campaign with us?" And I was like, "Huh, okay. Well, I definitely can't afford it, but I could." find a way to afford it. And if I do this, I'm basically saying I can go back to being an underpaid educator at any time. Let's try out being an underpaid artist. (laughs) And so I like made that leap. And so then once, once you leave your, your money behind, that's when that career thing sets in. It's like, okay, well, how am I going to make this work? Mm -hmm. Um, and each, each step of the way, you know, and I also, I don't want to generalize because I have discovered about myself that I have like a three to maybe six month uh, perspective at any given time. I've never thought of like, where am I going to be a year from now, two years from Which now? Which is five. totally fine, especially in our current landscape of just the world changing every five minutes. Yeah. But people talk about this, like you need, you need these game plans and stuff. Like people look at, I, I when I was younger, I got intimidated out of a lot of a lot of doing a lot of things because I did not have those plans. I did not have that understanding that, you know, I would look seven steps down and be like, shit, I understand the first six, but I don't understand seven. I just shouldn't do it at all. You know? And I never thought, Oh, I'll learn seven by the time I get to four. Like I never thought about it that way. And I also looked at these places as these like super well-formed, like it wasn't until I was in, I was an intern at a giant at a major record label. And I realized like, Oh yeah. Like, like I did a soundtrack that I just did everything on and they had a $50,000 budget and that was it. And they just handed it to the intern to do everything. And then I was like, Oh, none of this stuff is thought out. Even the people in these massive jobs, like they don't have any plans. Like, yeah, but it's terrifying to, yeah. People tell you, you have to, you go to college. I went to film school and they told us about all these plans that we had to have and stuff. And it's bullshit. No one ever had those plans. I mean, some people have those and that's awesome. Like what I've, been trying to do is forgive myself for not being that type of person because I recognize that it isn't in fact necessary because I've had a pretty rad life (laughs) taking it three months at a time um but yeah you know to speak to the aspect of creating your own system versus the industry is like I you know I still met with the publishers I still met with the record labels I just got told no Mm -hmm. it's not that I consciously chose to do this Oh yeah, no, I, I don't have money I, to actually do this instead of have it all sit on my credit card for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, I also think that the reason I've been able to do it independently is because of the type of person that, that I am, that not every artist is or needs to be like, I, I was a production coordinator. I was an administrative uh, assistant. I would like all of my jobs before this are the type of jobs that the industry, I think the reason the industry sort of sprang into place aside from greed is that there are these skill sets that are of an immeasurable value to artists who are like, you know what? I can paint a masterpiece. I cannot make a spreadsheet. I just happen to 
really love making spreadsheets. And like my <laughs> wake up is actually like what emails, what lists, what spreadsheets, yeah. what calls do I need to make? Not what songs do I need to write? What choreography do I need to come up with? Like my instinct is that. Um, wow. And so I actually be believe that there is an aspect to the industry that has sprung up around creation, be it music, visual art, everything that is, that is so beautiful and so valuable because it's a true sense of community. Like I have this, you have this together. <laughs> you know, me and Ryan have, have that. He has this 10 year vision that I've never had and is able to make a decision today that's on behalf of January, 2024. Um, and without that, I don't think I would have been able to get this far because I kept um, an analogy is like, if you see a boulder and it's on a hill, but it's not quite able to roll down yet. And you have a toothpick, you have an entire box of toothpicks. You have an entire truckload of toothpicks. What I was doing was just like sticking toothpicks all over it. Like at some point it's gonna roll. What someone like Ryan and like what a good industry person would do would take the one toothpick and put it right at the fulcrum point where the boulder and the hill intersect. And <laughs> that's all it takes to push it is like, is, is strategy. And, um, so that, you know, I don't want to sound like an industry hater because I think that the gift of strategy and the gift of funding, um, it is very, very valuable. I do think it's been very twisted up, of course, by, by greed and, um, all of the other systems that are in place to keep certain people where they are. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. Not, no, not at all. I mean, it, it, you know, what I'm interested in is just like how you go about, um, no, I, I didn't, I didn't think that there was a point where you sat down and you're like, I'm going to do this myself. No, it's just iterating on your, you know, where you want to get to even right in front of your eye, you know, even short term, three months and how you get there. So you talk to a publisher and they say no, and, but you still somehow, you know, you get the song out, you generate some revenue and you end up touring and you make the video you want to, you know, you do all these things. So, uh, it's just this continuous process of, of trial and error and, you know, like attempt and, and, you know, figure goal and solution. Um, that, that's, yeah. Like that's what I, that's, I guess what, what is important because that's what we all have to do now is we all have goals. You know, we be they three months, six months, 10 year, it doesn't matter. You just have stuff you want to do and you need to figure out how to do it. And some of that requires, money some of that requires people some of that requires you know it has benchmarks that you want to hit how do i get 10,000 people to care about this you know stuff like that how do i sell these amounts of tickets whatever how do i get in this paper magazine article and it's figuring it out so so that that's what you've done over and over again and if that became oh a major label signed me and figured it out for me like that's your solution but no i just mean we're going to have to approach this that way everyone is it yeah. is not a straight line there's not a system that you plug into i think that there's a lot of beauty and possibility because of that mm -hmm. i also think that there's um you know there, with all things there's good and bad and this it's been years i think it was the atlantic um article about the different ways and structures within cre um that that creation has operated in and how like you think of the Renaissance. Okay. That's the true patron era. You had a wealthy Medici family giving you money so that you could paint a masterpiece. And that's all you had to worry about. And then we kind of shifted into this institutional era where 
you know, you need to have gone to Juilliard if you're going to be a dancer. And it's the, right. the Yale MFA is the knighting that allows you to move forward. And how we're now shifting into this entrepreneurial area where it is, um, you know, what is Apple if not selling creativity itself, selling production itself? Everyone, you can make a podcast. I can make my own music video. Um, and so while that's beautiful and amazing, it opens up possibilities. There's also the potential for the watering down of craft because yeah. it's not as easy to be a specialist anymore. Um, you know, if you are a trumpet player and that's all you do, you need somebody else to come and run your Instagram and sell your shirt and design your flyer and post your flyer and schedule your social media, you know, all of these skill sets that we all, not we all, but that a lot of us now know how to do could also result in a watering down of craft. I, I feel that way. Cause I, I happen to like it because I'm naturally one of those types of people. Um, mm. But I know that my show would be better if I woke up every day and Beyonce that shit, you know, like, the, the, the artists who are super focused on what they do well and they don't do all the other stuff. Yeah. That is a gift. And I think that that gift is becoming harder and harder to, to attain in this entrepreneurial artist age. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking earlier, like I realized I have like a checklist of, I have like a to-do list of, I have to, you know, finish an edit on, on a script. I have to do this um, hand drawing design for a piece of clothing I have to uh finish notes on a song and I haven't done any of that today we didn't start talking until one o'clock I haven't done any of that and I woke up super early and I was thinking as you were talking like a few minutes ago I was like shit like what did I do wrong today because that was a bunch of time that I did not get to anything important and yeah, like, what was I doing? Like, emails, I was reading articles that, you know, great stuff, probably. But like, do I need to, you know, talking to people? I'm like, I don't know. That sounds every day. I am yeah. with every day. I feel that way. Yeah. There was a bunch of time where like my Wi-Fi connection was shitty and it's Friday. So I need to download all the new um, so that I don't have to keep dealing with the Wi-Fi connection. I download all my release radar and stuff like that. That took a while because I was dealing with that. Uh, sharing the Instagram post for the show that went up this morning because I wanted to do it right away because it was for a film that is released right now. So, but the Wi-Fi connection was shitty. So that was probably like a half hour of my time that I was just really like fiddling with this. But yeah, I'm the person who like, like I direct movies and make music and, you know, write scripts and stuff. And like, but I spent 30 minutes trying to, to, to figure out the right combination of, of, <laughs> of, of Wi-Fi connection of oh, when I had to reset it and with the timing of when I could tag that it would, go up the way that but I needed it to go up. How much time I spend making the gift the right size on the on top of the story, you yeah. know, it's like Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I also Should I that. center it or should I justify it? Will that change the impact <laughs> of the word? Am I putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong word by using the so justified filter? I mean, not filter, it's setting, you know. And I and I did think about that this morning. That happened. Oh, and I was in this dumb fight with this person who was gentrifying. Like that oh, was, today. <laughs> that was, that was this morning. That fresh, was like what I've been doing today. Like I've like that, I could be editing this script to be sent to this like dream actress. Like, and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. 
heard you. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's also, you know, I could think about this in an entirely different way. And like, I can just say, you know what, like, we are broadening ourselves. We are sharpening ourselves. We are bringing ourselves to waters that we pull chemicals off of and we alchemize and we mix these things and stuff happens. And, you know, I'm drinking tea while I'm having this fight and then I'm going to go, you know, and then I'm going to exercise and then I'm going to get my heartbeat rate racing and, and my skin is going to be sweaty and different chemicals are moving around my brain. And then I work on the script and maybe that works. Maybe that mixture works. I don't know. You know, I, I could think about it both ways. Yeah, I mean, you you didn't do the script yet. So the choice now is, do you create suffering around the fact that you haven't done it yet by making it bad or wrong? I, I personally, this is not a huge conflict. I'm pretty good with this. Uh, I always, I do, I was talking to my, I have a, a writer friend on who we recorded already uh, it'll be on in a few days and he's like a big procrastinator and i'm not anymore like i do get it done like so i'm talking about this but at the same time like it will be done like i'm positive i'm 100 positive all these things that i just described to you i will as soon as we get off i'm going to do the hand stencil then i'm going to go for my swim i'm going to do the errands i have to do and then that script will get done tonight i will do it uh yet at the same time i am examining my day and it's like, whoa, that's a lot. You know, it's, it's 3 p.m. now. It's a lot of time has passed. And like, have I really, like all the shit that I did, like could have been just crammed into a few minutes. Like my workout could have been really quick. Like if I didn't kind of take a break between things, like, cause I, I do that. I'll like, oh, you know, I think of something and then I'll go type on my, I'll type a note for like 20 minutes and then like get back to my workout and it's, all of a sudden it's a 90 minute workout that should be 20. <laughs> and like, so I think about it that way, but also the, 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 the net net, I do get it done. I didn't always, I'm 35 years old today. Like at 35, this version of me gets stuff done, but I did not in my past. When I was 29, you know, I would, I was very different, but I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like you're in a good place though. Yeah, there's iterating to do, but I do feel in a good place. It goes back to what we said in the beginning of the conversation when you asked about my skin, you know, in perfect conditions, I'm stable. In perfect conditions, these distractions do not kill my day. If I were riding the subway to, if I had three meetings today and I had to ride the subway back and forth to go to them and I had meals scheduled, and I had a social thing tonight, I wouldn't get the script done. The reason why the script will be done is because at one point in this day, everything is gonna disappear. There will be no distractions and I will, I'll rock it. But if that point in the day happened six hours later, like it would if I were in New York or New Orleans or something like that, and you know, Travis is hitting me up and telling me that Troy's gonna play at Vaughn's, like not, not gonna go to Vaughn's. <laughs> like, <laughs> so in perfect conditions yeah with nobody around with nothing to do i will get the script done even with losing three four hours of my day to junk but 
if I were in the world, no way. That's a three day thing. That's three days before I get four hours. I need four hours, you know, of real focus. Four hours of focus would take me three days if I were in New Orleans. And I were living the way that, that I would typically live. And I'm like hanging out and doing the things that I think are, are beautiful for my life and whatever. Receiving all the, I, I, and I do value that stuff. I don't, like I do value going to see Troy play on the floor at Vaughn's. Like that's important. I'm not going because I want to, you know, get drunk and fuck around. I'm going because like, it's fucking important. It's awesome. It's rich. Yeah, it repopulates your pool. Totally. Concept from the artist way that you, you're fishing from the pool of creativity that lives, you know, inside of you or from the source, however you want to look at it. And you have to repopulate it, see a movie, go see a musician, read a book, blah, blah, blah. like consumption of narrative and of art is definitely part of creating art, I'd say. I have two directions that I want to like, feed you on that thread and you could pick one or do both but one i don't know if you want to talk about but is like the like where stripping and like cam girl culture and only fans and stuff like that where 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 that has fit into your life and where you see it today as in the frame of what you just said and then the other would be just like the new orleans melting pot of like preservation hall frida shorty all the all that crowd as it pertains to this pool that you swim in, mm. um, take either one or both. Well, this, this, <laughs> like, I probably only did it like twelve times, okay. so I don't right. have the best concept. Um, at Rick's and at Babes on Bourbon Street. Oh, oh in, in New Orleans, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I don't participate in like camera culture and stuff like that anymore, just because I think that like showing my tits is something that can like maybe like this is so silly but like it might be like of more value to me to hold off and see if i get famous and then let's have a big reveal you respect. know um and it the the to speak to the like melting pot um i think that one of the the big things that's happening in new orleans right now and it may perhaps it's always happened but i just wasn't here um is that as a wait wait can i pause you for i want to go i want to go further on that like cam girl culture and stripping oh, yeah, culture yeah. like like if you don't mind like not even necessarily your own personal experience but like i just I, I love talking about this about how like there's an art form in it and there's performance and there's life as art there's you know just there's it's it's so artistic and I, I love to, you know, get people's perspective on that and maybe how it's gone into your thinking of your framework of creating music and performance and all of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm hundred percent pro sex work. I think that any, any job that is being done out of being this versus out of doing this will, will have art in it and will be art. Um, so of course that applies to, to any sex works job. And then a lot of those, have built into them the element of performance, um, which is is beautiful and awesome. I mean, the the fact that like we're in this environment where people can't go out and um, you know get a get a prostitute, can't go out and date, can't go out and see a burlesque show, all of that stuff has migrated to to spaces like OnlyFans. Um, yeah. 
And I think that's awesome. I think, I think it's, yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I put it on a list. I made it, I wrote, wrote for that music business worldwide article and I made a list after of like all my favorite things during quarantine. And I actually like, I'm not on OnlyFans, but I just know so many people who are, and, and I'm like, so I'm, I'm like, this is one of the best things to happen out of quarantine that like so many people transitioned their welfare yeah. to an OnlyFans in a successful way. It's fucking awesome safe it's so safe mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely safe and like i would 100 percent do it if i didn't have this public aspect to my career because i just feel like it com it confuses the narrative you know like if you could go like get an only fans video from megan the stallion you know what i mean it's just it seems like there's this weird separation that occurs um you know, Cardi B was a stripper. Now she's Cardi B. And I don't know how much of that is rooted in stigma. So I do need to explore that more. Um, I know for me, it's yeah, just well, like- Yeah, what if? What now? Like, what if? Yeah, That's what crazy. If? It sounds, we, we, we dismiss it so quickly as like, oh, like, hmm. But like, what if? Like, because like, like, people have done it, you know, Kim Kardashian, Paris Hilton have done that in a- in a different way, but like no one has ever, like no, I'm an artist, I'm a rapper, I'm a singer, I'm an actor or whatever, like has actually taken that step. Hmm. No one's ever done it. I don't, I don't think. Like Demi Moore in striptease is like Elizabeth Berkeley. like those are versions of it, but they got destroyed for it. And it wasn't, you know, full on. It was like a, you know, a big director doing this studio stunt movie. Yeah. But like, what if, and not, not to make you, not to put you on the spot, but like, what if you did an OnlyFans? Like literally right now, what if you did? Would it ruin you? Would it fuck up your career? Well, I definitely don't mean ruin or fuck up when I say those things, but mm. And I, and I actually have considered doing it. It's just pure laziness that I haven't and doing like rhyming dick ratings. Like, like there's, there's definitely. I mean, I'm not I, at all like in like no one is, no one's, uh, no one, there's not a person in the world who has any position to like encourage one to do that or not. I'm oh, just really, hypo I'm no, I don't hear, I'm hypothesizing. Not yeah. On if, uh -huh. if an artist went and did it, like, like if I heard you do it, I would be like, that's fucking awesome. I'd be like, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only barrier um, is like, I, I just like, don't actually want to show my pussy. I think that's Fair. like at the end of the day, not in the same video as my face and not in the same video where someone can be like, this is boyfriend. Like, I think I just. Brooke Candy. You know. She does, right? Yeah, I don't know if she does like sex work, but I know that she was a stripper and she's super sex positive. Yeah, I need to look more in. I think I need to look. I'm speaking without having researched enough i mean i haven't um, i'm doing the same i'm just riffing yeah. like like why can't i enjoy an artist's music take them totally seriously and and know and, and have knowledge that they also right. you know well that's the question is like what what about i think it must come back to stigma it must just be like that why can't that be part of the art right it must just be because the stigma of sex work and the, the, the concept of having sexual access to someone, even if it's just through a screen, somehow them. Com yeah, compromises the, the art itself as if they're too, you know, we're so compartmentalized. Yeah. Um, you know, people would all- Yeah, like, like why is access to that? Why is, oh, I could see this woman naked, meaning like I, you know, I, 
<laughs> like she's lesser like yeah, there's uh-huh. less because it doesn't really apply terrible. to actresses like when they're in films they have a sex scene and you see them you know simulating sex and you see yeah. their breasts like i'm not like oh they're a porn star uh. so marissa tomei her comeback was based on her having her com- her, her having like a ridiculous middle-aged not middle-aged but like you know 40 something she had a she was in ridiculous shape and she showed it in the opening scene of like her comeback movie she was fully nude fully nude in like a full-on sex sequence and she stands up afterwards and just has like the this is the opening of of the film before the devil knows you're dead she hadn't been in a film in a while and 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 she's just like holy fucking shit that's what marissa tomei looks like and then she had a 10 years of you know she's been in movies a lot more a lot more since then and she's been naked in a bunch of them i always think about costanza when i hear <coughs> um <laughs> yeah i think there's something about the aspect of p- performance so mm-hmm. like you know stripping is a performance burlesque is a performance you know a pre-taped video that you have access to on only fans it's a performance versus like an actual um like like face-to-face like sexual encounter and i think that might be part of what it is is maybe there's stigma for sure, but maybe the other aspect of it is there's an intimacy like that I don't want to give to just some random fan. Like I, I don't think I want someone who's a fan of my music to also share an orgasm with me personally. I just don't want that. And I mean, this is the first time I've really thought about that and articulated that, but um, yeah, it's not that it should be. Yes. Yeah. It's not that it should fit in for everyone. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know why that's different. Cause like, Again, if I were just doing it as a random anonymous person, I don't think it would bother me. I, this is crazy. I, I, I'm well, that's what I'm saying. That's what it's a weird thread. It's not, I, I more think about it from the receiver aspect than the, uh, you know, performer aspect. Cause not at all do I like recommend that anyone do this. The point is that if there is someone who did want to do it, why would it, you know, right. why would we be judging? why wouldn't it just be a thing that that artist it's, it's like the way that uh an artist can design clothes today you know right. like part of their artistic output is this is their general their, their whole universe you know yeah, and an artist, what if it's also like cam girl stuff or what if it's hardcore you know like there was that thing with yacht a few years ago where they like i think like pretended to leak a sex tape or something like that it was like i don't i don't remember exactly but it got destroyed and you know they everyone killed them for it and it's like yo they're like a married couple who have recorded music together for years like what if they did want to release a sex tape of themselves like so what like why is that like exploitative or cheap like oh well i mean in terms of just the general psyche it's like definitely because we're just so afraid of sex yeah like like, yo like okay let them have sex in front of us if they really if that's what they want to do you don't have to watch like myself as a consumer i would just be like Fuck yeah, that's awesome. Like, it's yeah. any artist that's like, oh, and you can also become a subscriber to OnlyFans and like have cyber sex with this person. I, I'm all for that. And I don't think, I really don't think it would compromise my thought. Like, of cameo. Art. If anything, like, I'd that's fucking uh, an advanced, elevated mind to be able to do that. However, not everyone feels that way about sex. So I, I don't want to, yeah. one of the issues in sex positivity is that it doesn't always leave room for the more traditional, quote unquote, vanilla. <laughs> routes you know like not everyone wants to be polyamorous not everyone wants sex to mean less um yeah, like yeah. well that that's putting it definitely the wrong way um not everyone wants 
sex to be something that they can have with multiple people. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, I'm basically like that. Just like FYI, like I've been in open relationships. I've been in, I've been at like sex parties. I've done all that stuff. I've, mm -hmm. I'm just super regular. And like, I just don't care. I just like being in love with someone and having regular sex with them. Like I don't care about kink. I don't care. I've dated strippers and porn, you know, adult entertainers, whatever porn stars, but I've done all that. And like, I don't give a shit about like being able to do more crazy stuff. That's just my, my personal, like, I, I don't care about having sex in front of other people. When I have a partner who I love, I don't need to fuck seven other women at the same time. I don't really care. But at the same time, I'm saying all the things that I'm saying that if someone does that fucking, yeah, like go for it. Like I'm super pro all of that, even though I don't, like, I don't need to necessarily watch their OnlyFans. I don't care. No, I probably would. That's probably that's fucking cool. If I hear that, like, some artist who I'm really into is doing that and, like, that's part of their output, like, I'd probably, I'd probably subscribe. And I, at least in the current climate, to make a point of, like, openness to that. Yeah. No, I think I would, I would too. I, people, I think I'll just say that the, the mass assumption about sex is that it is the primary if not exclusive currency of trust and so that's a great way to frame it and so it gets confusing you know there's people out here like hey we're using dollars and then there's other people like no we're using bitcoin over here. like hmm. um you know like for me that is not the currency of trust in any of my relationships um i don't i i also have like almost always have an open aspect to my relationships and it's um, whether or not that's actually acted upon, you know, it's more of just the, the conceptual mode of being that I have when I'm in a relationship is not one where you must only have sex with me and mm -hmm. other people have that. And that's fine too. But I, I think that it's that um, there's something always personal about sexuality that yeah. is more personal than sharing your art. I'm thinking is maybe one of the aspects of this. Oh. Like it's of course personal to share your art and depending on who you are for me it's more personal for me to show Not you for me so, I just really? thought of it. yeah for me yeah, I, I, I could would tell you my yeah. song and see my pussy <laughs> i have had both happen i have had uh like when i was younger i had pictures on my computer from like girl from like high school um and if this was in college and, and, and yeah, like a guy was on my computer at a party and like, they weren't that well hidden. It was like in a stuff folder, you know? And like, he was, you know, playing music on my computer and whatever. And he sent himself the, the, that folder of like pictures of me having sex with, with a, with the girl who I used to be with. And um, yeah. And then, and then we like got in a fight basically. And he created all these, accounts under my name and put that out and sent it and this was in the era of like gawker and stuff so yeah. it went on gawker he sent it to gawker yeah no it was really bad it was like it was and i was young i was like 20 and uh no i was i was i was probably yeah i was probably 20 and uh they were they were like underage photos also like we were you know it was from a few years prior um and it was super fucked up and so that so like my dick is on the internet uh, somewhere. I don't know where it is today. Like I couldn't find it if I tried because like that shit's buried at this point. This is 15 years ago, but that, that happened. Um, and I will tell you that that felt horrible, but 
it didn't feel as horrible as sending my film, my completed film into, into festivals last week did. That felt, I wanted to, I didn't somehow, but I wanted to purge. I wanted to vomit. I wanted to get rid of everything inside of me. I felt, uh, I felt like crying. I did cry a little bit. Like, um, I, I'm releasing music soon. Like it is so horrible. And, and I don't mean this in a way that is, and I'll get used to it because I've made stuff in the past and it's been fine. And this is just like this new chapter for me that is totally different than it was before. So it's that more horrifying. But th- what's horrifying about it is that I am going so deep. I'm committing so much time, so my entire world to making these things. And to these things, expressing things that I alchemy inside of me, putting it into into vocabulary, into form, and it's supposed to do something. I do care what it does. I'm not just like expressing myself. I do not believe in like free expression. Expression is not free. Expression is beneath understanding. The point of expression is a pathway to understanding. So everything that I do must lead to understanding or I want to fucking die. So my dick being on the internet versus my film being on the internet, I'm much more comfortable with my dick. That's awesome. (laughs) You know, you, and hearing you talk through that, I think that I am only recently like this. Okay. Um, and I think that even in given moments, it changes. I think, well, it's, it's just, it's basically a, an element of consent. Um, yeah, it's, totally. Oh no, it felt fucking felt, horrible. And, it was so bad. Always, and that's always changing. So like, yeah, that, that's very interesting. Cause I think that um, there are certain settings and moments where I can totally see myself just being like, sure, here it is. Like, uh, you know, being boyfriend. Mm-hmm. When I'm not being boyfriend, I'm much more chill about all of that um, and not really care. I don't know. I'm, you definitely got my mind in tornadoes. I'm going to be thinking. <laughs> well, that's a great I'm, I'm like, you can, take, you can abuse me sexually, but you cannot dictate my expression. Like that was like sexual abuse, what that guy did, you know, yeah. like to her and to me. Yeah. And that was disgusting, you know? And I'm less upset about that. I will take that hit, you know? Thankfully, she was not identified. Like, it just was, like, hard to tell who it was. So everyone knew it was me but didn't know it was her. And I was, I would take that, like, I, I let that guy do it. I didn't care. I was just, like, because there was no, it was, like, harm was done. It's just I wanted to stop and go away. I don't care about revenge. I don't care about, but if he did something with my film, if someone were preventing me from doing the film the way that that's death to me, like when I was on set and something happened that jeopardized, basically like we had a shot and the shot wasn't working and I had to act and redo the shot at the same time. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it all together. And I wanted to die at that moment. I wanted to be, I I didn't want to die. I wanted to, the thought of not getting it done, the thought of not being able to, to, the thought of, of, of not achieving this was worse, was like, I don't want to be alive. Yeah. If I couldn't do that. But when that, I never wanted to kill myself when that guy did that. 
No, I understand. I, what you mean. Yeah, it's um, yeah. We're, we're constantly navigating deaths. I think. Well, yeah. Sean, I have really enjoyed talking to you. And you, and thank you so much for for all of your openness and your time. Oh yeah, from uh, scalp yeast infections to <laughs> did the whole thing. And yeah, the only reason I need to go is I'm out of both my liquids, and I and I want to eat. I'm going to go eat also. I'm going to swim and eat and I haven't eaten for two days. I, I fasted for a little while. So I did a little bit of health, but I hope to see you somewhere in the new world soon. New Orleans, hopefully I'll make yeah. it there. And thank you so much again. And oh, thank you. This was so lovely. It's nice yeah. to have social interaction, you know? I know. I know. I'll this is my social table. interaction. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the beach by myself. <laughs> oh, that sounds so dreamy. Wow. It is. It's pretty wonderful. Really? I'm, not, I'm not, not complaining at all. All right. Thank you so much. Lots of love. Tell Ryan hi and talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.